1: This episode contains some difficult themes and discussions of sexual assault and murder that may be distressing to some listeners.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Shell Morgan. And I'm Lisa Magistrelli. And we're the hosts of
3: Whose Crime Is It Anyway? We are two Canadian girls who cover true crime that happens in the true north. You may think Canada is a pleasant little country full of maple syrup, snowy weather, and people who say sorry all the time. But it's much more sinister than that there's murder serial killers missing persons mysterious deaths bank robberies and heists and we cover them all province to province coast to coast
2: and all throughout history there's crime being committed across canada we ask the questions you want to ask we theorize on what really happened and we try to find out the truth behind every single case if you're like us you'll always be wondering whose crime is it anyway join us wherever you listen to podcasts bye
3: toodles
0: a playlist original
1: just watching the medium is the message Proof is a proof. What kind of proof? It's a proof. It has
4: no core identity.
3: It's mashed potatoes are no gravy, you know what I'm saying? Speaking uh, moistly on them.
1: Hello and welcome to Just Watch Me. I'm Kate. And I'm Liv. And today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about... Hamoka, um, but we're not alone. We have some guests to help us, some true crime experts, <laughs> as we already have dubbed them. We have Lisa and Shell from Whose Crime Is It Anyway podcast. Welcome, Lisa and Shell. Hi. Hi. Thanks for, Thanks for, having, for having us. Having us.
4: <laughs> and before <laughs> we get, it, <laughs> we're so excited. This is our first guest
3: appearance oh my gosh. on any podcast. Oh my wow, gosh. that's so cool.
1: Honored.
4: And I have to give like a quick plug about your podcast because it's such a good show. So if anyone's interested in specifically Canadian crime, that's what I think is really cool about your your show is that you do Canadian crime. Yeah. So um, you know, if you're interested in that, head over to their podcast. You can find it like wherever podcasts are available, and um, it's really really worth a listen. Hey.
3: Awesome.
1: Thank you. So sweet. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, let's dive right in. Who is Carlo Hamoka? Broad strokes.
4: Well, I'm going to be honest. I really didn't know that much about her getting started. Like this was like a full, I was like blank, blank slate when I started researching. But did you guys like have an understanding of her? Like, did you like live through (laughs) the trial or anything? I think that I was too young at the time when that was all
3: happening. But I've known about this one for years and years. I feel like this was one of the first ones that you really kind of dive into when you're kind of. Getting your teeth sunk into a serial killer, like what Definitely. worse person than Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka The Ken and I mean, Barbie she ended up being like what they call them,
2: yeah. And like she was, wasn't she like the most hated woman in Canada? Like it was, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Like she has a reputation in Canada for sure. I mean, we're on the west coast, so it was probably a little less for us on the like because it happened in Ontario,
4: but.
1: Yeah, it's definitely well known and a crazy case. So I grew up with this case. I was too young to to live through the trial, but I just always knew about it. I don't even remember when I heard about it. I think also because I live in Hamilton. I live about 40 minutes from where all this happened. And my mom lived in like very close to to Port Dalhousie, I think at the time too. So it was like really close to home for her. So I just remember knowing that I knew who she was. I knew about him and I knew it was in St. Catharines. Um, but just picking up on, I think Lisa, something Lisa just said, what do you think about the Ken and Barbie killers as the nickname? How do we feel I, about that?
3: I hate it. I don't like that they're, they're glorifying them, right? It's this, yeah. you know, it's kind of like when they have all these Netflix shows on serial killers and they cast all these good looking actors to play the roles. I just don't really like that they glamorize these killers.
2: It's like Zach Efron in the for the
3: Ted Bundy yeah and Ted Bundy was not attractive why do people (laughs) say this like just no hard no and it's not like Paul Bernardo looks anything like a Ken doll (laughs) no she had blonde hair I don't know she had like a 80s kind of loofy blonde hair but
1: it doesn't make a ton of sense I think the entire basis for the nickname is that they were like scare quotes attractive and that's like the only place that it comes from glad we're on the same page about that (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about so this episode's going to be focused on Carla of course we're going to talk about Paul because we kind of have to Um, but we'll talk about Carla uh, growing up a little bit Um, there's plenty of documentaries and written works about like events in her childhood that people try to connect to the sinister being that lived within her and I don't really want to do that. And I think there's lots to be made about um, when she was, a when she was young, apparently she put her friend's hamster out of a window with a parachute. And this is used in all these documentaries to show that she was obviously just like, there's like dormant evil, just waiting to come wake up inside her. And I don't really think there's much in her childhood that like, I really want to psychoanalyze and say like makes complete sense. She ended up this way, but um, just for who she was, you know, she grew up in St. Catharines, she had with her parents and her two younger sisters. Um, people say she was well liked, um, but bossy, I think she had a goth phase when she was a teenager, she was obsessed with death. Lots has been made about that too, and what that means. Um, but there's not too much significant that I came across in her, I don't know, in her youth and her childhood.
4: Like that was like mamas.
1: really had much to do with what she ended up doing with her life.
4: Yeah. I actually found that people, I felt like people were looking to point to something to say like, that's it. That's how you know if mm-hmm. they're going to be a serial killer. And the, And I think that the problem was that she was just almost like, too normal and it was like a little bit scary for the public to grapple with the fact that there may have been no signs right. and then she just turned out to do all these horrible things like yeah and so I thought that that's why people were looking so hard to try to find something
3: yeah because usually there are signs like there's that list of things for when kids are younger that you know are the telltale signs of if you are likely to become a serial killer and that's one what story. are they
4: mcdonald triad oh right yeah. <laughs> but tell us tell us what they like, what they are
3: wetting the bed at a young age or at an older age i think like past the point of where it would be more common and they're torturing animals um arson
2: i think too like peeping toms i don't think that's one of them but I, I always those... feel like that's a big one
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know if that's like, <laughs>
2: psychologically but i feel like they start a lot all, like yeah they all start with Basically, being P.P. Tom's, so it's but interesting I think, though
3: because she wasn't really like the mm-hmm. instigator of of things. Oh,
2: well, that's what I was gonna say. I think this conversation, like talking about digging into her childhood and trying to find something that connects her with why she became so evil, is like the whole nature versus nurture question that we've talked lot a lot on our podcast as well. And like, we'll dig in if there's a serial killer. Like, you know, what kind of traumas did they go through? Did something lead them to? getting to that point but I mean we'll dive more into her story but I I honestly think like meeting Paul was such a big turning point for her and she fell for him and he like completely manipulated her it's it's kind of like insane and of course free choice like she had the choice to do what she did but I think it presents an interesting case which is probably why people are so obsessed with this
4: yeah I definitely think we'll get into that (laughs) because that's the big question. I think we're going to, I think we're going to have a healthy debate at the end. I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, by all accounts, it was love at first sight. Um, They were at, um, well, Carla was at a veterinarian conference, which to me was very strange, considering that she was seventeen in a vet tech, but mm-hmm. neither here nor there and um and Paul was also at this this hotel and they met in the lobby and um I guess immediately connected and and that was that. they went upstairs and um began the relationship, shall we say <laughs> consummated the relationship. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but her parents loved him immediately. Oh, yeah. I mean, her
4: family adored him.
1: They yeah. took to him. Should we talk about their relationship and, and, and what that was like? What we know about it? Carla alleges, I mean, certainly after the fact that Paul was pretty abusive and controlling from pretty well from the start. Um, although friends would say that it was like she thought it was her fairy tale and she was obsessed with him and they were like head over heels from the beginning you know her version of the story certainly when she's talking to police is that it was always always abusive and always controlling although like the violence in the relationship escalated um but it's just really hard to get a picture of what a relationship looks like um when you're not one of the people in it but
3: well i don't know like i don't remember hearing that the abuse started like right away but i do remember hearing though that like it was very controlling and that Mm -hmm. I think that her family did see signs of the abuse but they didn't question if it was from him like I think that it was like one of those like if she had a mark on her she had an excuse for it so like her parents had no idea that he was abusive towards her until like way 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 later
4: Yeah, well, charges were only pressed right at the end of their relationship. So I think it's like, you know, my impression was sort of like what Katie said, that it was like, there's a lot that we're just not sure about if, and like you said, it's like, was there maybe a little bit more happening than than we let on? I'm not sure, to be honest, like that doesn't seem to be clear, but I think what she said, especially was that there was a lot of verbal abuse. So I think that there was like, it was clear that there was like a dynamic in their relationship of abuse. I mean, Lisa and I have done
2: a few podcast episodes about domestic violence and abuse, and it's, you know, we kind of have dived into psychologically what that does to someone, especially women. Ours have focused around women. And so I imagine, and this is obviously like we don't know all the research. We don't know exactly what happened in Paul and Carla's relationship, but he had to at some point convince her, like that manipulative way of being, like getting into her life. So I'm sure the abuse didn't start right away, but I think you're right, at least in that she probably became co- like covered it up so that people wouldn't see, and then the cycle continues.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Should we talk about Paul and Paul as? The Scarborough rapist. This is an interesting detour in um, in the story because he there was a there was a rapist on the loose in Scarborough, and you know there was like I think over fifteen reported incidents, and um, at some point, without getting too much into the incidents, there was one victim who was able to identify um, you know a clean you know, identify his face basically. And she went to the police and the police were able to, uh, you know, develop a, a composite. And when the composite was released, um, there was a, a few people who thought that it was a perfect match to Paul right. um, and immediately went to the police and said, that's, that's Paul Bernardo, exactly. which is, which is crazy, <laughs> which is crazy. Cause I don't think usually police composites are that, Accurate, accurate or that good yeah. um and so the police called him in he you know seems very cooperative with uh with the police he even admits that the composite looks quite a lot like him and the police take a dna sample and so you know by all accounts the they mystery can be solved yeah exactly right.
3: At the time, though, it took so long to get a match on that. DNA forensics was really slow a lot because it was fairly new at the time. And so by the time that they had gotten the results back from that match, he was already loose and doing far worse already. And he had been with Carla at the time of all these rapes. And she, I think, helped him seek out some of these women because it was a fantasy of his to want to sexually assault somebody and she she knew. Ugh,
4: just makes you cringe a little bit. Yeah. And then yeah, it just it escalated certainly does from
3: there. And that's yeah. when it just got worse. And yeah.
1: Yeah. And just for timeline, I think most of the attacks um in Scarborough were between eighty seven and ninety. They met, I think, late in eighty seven. So there is overlap like between their relationship and Paul as a Scarborough rapist.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, before he ends up moving in with uh with the Homokas because he starts living with the family where he lives until after Tammy dies. Um, but in terms of in the attacks, uh, all accounts say that he started to be uh, violent with his own partners, his own girlfriends. Uh, eventually, he kind of stopped having girlfriends. And then he was attacking strangers um, in the Scarborough area, mostly at night uh, between 87 and 90. And I
4: think we should also say too, like when, when he moved, the attacks started to move to the different, uh, different regions, um, where he was living, which I think was interesting. And of course in Ontario, there's different sets of police forces for the different regions. And so that also was part of the, um, the mix up. And it seems to be the, the story in so many cases, unfortunately, that if the police had just communicated with each other,
3: it
4: would have solved the crime faster.
1: So that yeah. also was, was happening here. I just think it's important to know.
3: Yeah. They weren't connecting the dots.
1: So at some point he loses his job in finance. He ends up um, mostly making money by I think smuggling cigarettes over the border, which for those who, are, who aren't from the area, St. Catharines and Niagara region is right on the border. So it made a lot of sense and worked really well for his uh, newfound career to live with the Hamokas. Um And maybe this is a good time to start talking about those attacks and murders in uh, St. Catharines. They were um, violent sexual assaults. Um, These women were held prisoner in Bernardo and Homolka's home. Um, Some of them were tortured for hours or even days before they were eventually murdered. And all of these attacks in the the Niagara region, um, these girls were drugged using halothane and halicene, which... Carla Hamoka had taken from the vet clinic where she worked. So the first victim that we'll talk about is Tammy Hamoka.
4: So Tammy was obviously um, Carla's sister. They were all living together at the time. And Paul had developed, I guess like we can call it an obsession with with virgins and virginity and at the time that he had met Carla she was not a virgin um and so as that kind of you know I think that Lisa sort of uh, alluded to this that Carla was like bringing him virgins um in order to kind of like I guess make up for what she was lacking um and with this Paul had developed kind of like a I guess we can call it an obsession with Tammy and he was you know peering into um her uh her window and was kind of you know constantly talking about her uh it seemed like they had developed um a a, a friendly relationship between them and and Tammy seemed to be quite fond of of paul you know it makes sense it's like your sister's boyfriend see this older guy it makes sense that they would be friendly but what tammy didn't know was that paul obviously had some really um what's the word like bad intentions towards her and it was you know it wasn't he wasn't this nice guy that he seemed to be just
1: to get to uh katie do you want to take it from there yeah and he was spying on her even before like the big attack. There were also, there's also more than one attack. Um, they, Paul and Carla, I believe crushed up Valium and put it in her spaghetti one night in an attempt to, to rape her while she was unconscious, but she woke up after one minute. So it was like unsuccessful.
3: Which blows yeah. my mind that they still tried it again. Cause that you would think that that would give you a minute to kind of reconsider what you just tried to do. Like, okay close call what was I thinking but she didn't
2: maybe for Carla but for Paul this was like a mission right I know and, and keeping it in the family too Ugh. like I can just imagine like he probably felt so much power in being able to do this to Tammy with her sister
1: mm-hmm. like it's just so twisted for sure in the second attempt they um as I said they used the halofane and the halocene. I think the combination of both um and they hold over her mouth so that, that she's unconscious she and um they both rape her um she ends up choking on her own vomit um resulting from the the drugs, which is actually how she died, and originally, the coroner rules this an accident, and this has been really criticized because as a result of these drugs, which shouldn't really be ever be put in contact with skin um she ends up with a, a pretty large chemical burn on her body um, which is noticeable and yet the coroner still ruled this an accident.
3: they just didn't really even consider it because Paul and Carla were telling them oh she was drinking she must have just had too much to drink she's a lightweight and she vomited in her sleep and that was the story that they were going with they just they believed it they didn't even really look into those chemical burns which wouldn't like why wouldn't you it's weird.
4: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think it, it's interesting too because it seems like, based on what I heard, that Bernardo didn't want her to be dead because he wanted to keep her. um right. As you know, like he
3: wanted to continue. It, yeah, probably. So. Yeah,
4: exactly. And then I also heard, which was, which I think, was just was an interesting point, was that you know this was this were uh, this was like material that Carla had from work that she was that she knew something about and so a couple people did point out that it was odd that she put it on her mouth um and had like held it there for so long because um that maybe she would have known it would have killed her so that was like yes just kind yeah like kind of an interesting like twist in this it's like was there some intention uh from there i have a theory on this
2: well i have like (laughs) thoughts on this anyways um So from my understanding, Paul was pretty awful to Carla around this time. So he's repeatedly telling her that she's awful. She's ugly. She's fat. He's being like verbally and physically and emotionally abusive to Carla. At the same time, he's infatuated with Tammy. He's thinking she's beautiful. She's virginal. She's pure. She's perfect. And so in all of this, when that happens, like, did Carla at some point resent the fact Mm -hmm. that Paul loved Tammy Mm -hmm. and not her?
3: I thought about that too, like, with the jealousy.
2: Yeah, with the jealousy and the envy. Because obviously, at this point, Carla is still obsessed with Paul, Mm -hmm. still wants Paul to be everything, wants to do everything for him, but he is turning
1: his attention away from her.
4: Mm For sure. it's a good theory.
1: And I've seen that some of the, I think these are some of the experts at trial have, were considering whether, um, I don't know if it's about Paul's trial, we're we're talking about how these drugs, like they would say right on the label that, um, that they were dangerous and that like death was a real consequence and they weren't for human consumption and all that stuff. And um, Carla has said in interviews, like police interviews, that. She had no idea that it could pos- that this could possibly kill her, which seems to be pretty unlikely based on like the scare signs that would have been on the bottles and that kind of thing, which I think kind of goes to intention.
3: And I'm sure she would have known how much they typically would use on an animal. So for a human, which is probably like three times that size, she should have. You think she would probably have an idea of how much she would need?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
1: I and think so too. I think what other than absolutely everything something that's also really tragic about this is that neither of them Carla nor Paul are charged with this crime like this doesn't end up being added. this is not added to Paul's charges he's he's he was convicted of murder for um the next two victims Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey and Tammy nobody like nobody pays for this crime um and this wasn't part of uh you know the manslaughter charges against Carla that we'll talk about either so Nobody really was responsible for this, despite the police believing that the coroner's finding that this was an accident was was clearly not not right um, anything else about tammy
4: um no, the only thing I wanted to um point out here is that um you know they're they're not yet um married at this point, and the some of the discussions that happened after Tammy's death were quite horrible. And I guess it's difficult to cooperate, but the sense of this was, you know, Paul like well, the Homelka family asked Paul to move out so that they could have some privacy, you know, with with their grieving process. And um that obviously really upset Paul and car it kind of forced Par- Carla to move in with him after that. And then, um, there was you know they had all these unexpected expenses with the funeral and that ended up kind of compensating their fund for their wedding and apparently they were quite um upset about that because they they wanted to have their their wedding and it's just kind of like unimaginable how like unfeeling they seem to be about um the the death of yeah the death of tammy they just don't seem to be i don't know outwardly upset which is just
1: very alarming yeah this is the letter to Deb, I think you're talking about. I think that she wrote she writes a letter to her friend that her friend gives over gives to the media or the police or something that she's like, "My parents are taking away half the money for the wedding, like how dare they like my dad hasn't worked a day since Tammy died, like as if he should be getting over it and stuff, and I think Almost she like just comes across
3: kind of like she's still jealous that her younger sister is kind of almost in the spotlight again and people are paying more attention to her yeah like i feel like that okay you agree i agree yeah
2: it's the same thing she wants to move on she wants it to be about her yeah and it's still not
1: i do think it's interesting how much the media makes of these things though like I I saw a journalist ask a police officer like once you read this letter didn't you think surely she should be more responsible and I'm like I don't know guys I think the videotape of her doing this stuff is probably a little bit more damning than her being like pretty bratty and unfeeling in a letter like I do find I do agree like she sounds terrible but I also just am amazed at how much people have made of this letter there's also a, a videotape of her taking the police through their house." where she's asking about like how her, like whether her furniture was damaged in the investigation, which is kind of people like, oh my God, this is a smoking gun. Clearly she's a sociopath. I'm like, maybe, but also like the tape shows are- she's a sociopath. I think her asking questions, I know. Like, like they the cut the tape. two minutes of her asking about the furniture. It's like, I don't know, maybe there was a silence and she just had a question about the furniture. Like, I just don't know if that's like the evidence that she's so remorseless. Like we have a lot of other evidence that she's so remorseless, yeah, to I just think that. it's interesting how we fixate on these little things as being like oh dark, <laughs> although I <No>. agree, <laughs> okay, so the next victim is Leslie Mahaffey. um Leslie was fourteen years old, she had missed curfew after pretending a friend's wake, and her I think parents locked her out of her house, um so she was trying to go to a friend's house to see if she could stay over there, and Bernardo um I guess found her. Uh, and approached her and I think he forced her into the car.
4: Yeah, the details the details of why she couldn't get into the house I found to be particularly heartbreaking just because you know her outcome. It was like she her friend yeah. walked her home. She goes to the back door. It's locked. She goes to the side door. It's locked. And I guess she had a key, but her parents had recently changed the keys because she had been in some trouble about staying out late. So she goes and she calls a friend and she says, can I stay at your house? And she's like, no, I'm going to get in trouble if you stay. And it's just like, there was just like so many opportunities that if someone had just done something differently, she could have got in the house and, or been safe. And I just found that like so heartbreaking to go through when you know what happens to her. It's just like, parents, please just... (laughs) Don't change the locks on your kids. Yeah. Don't do oh, it.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, I feel terrible for those parents because they must feel guilty about locking her out, which is like, you know, obviously not at all their fault, but you know, that like, they will yeah. think about that forever.
2: Yeah. This happens so many times. Like there's so many ways this could have gone. And yet that's the way it went, which is so, it is heartbreaking. It's so sad because there were opportunities for her to be safe, but yeah, we talk about that too. And it's no one's fault. It's just like, if it could have gone another way.
3: I know. You know what is actually really surprising that I didn't know was there were a lot of people who escaped Paul. He had a lot of attempted attacks and people fought back and escaped. Like a lot. And so it just, he was just so determined. Like he just was so hell Um,
1: After Leslie Mahaffey, uh is murdered. They their next victim is Kristen French who was 15 years old. Um she was picked up when she was walking home from school at Holy Cross uh and he forced her into the car and they murdered her uh, also in their home. Mm-hmm. Um all four are videotaped uh, and we're going to talk about the tapes and the, how all that went down. Um and I say four because there's another victim who uh, we don't have her name um who was called Jane Doe, who was a friend, I believe was a friend of a homoka, of homoka's of Homoca's from the clinic. And I think she was fifteen. And this victim, unlike the others who were picked up, or at least that we know of, um, because again there as as Lisa said, there were other attempts that were picked up by Paul, uh, it seems that Carla brought this Jane Doe back to their house for Paul. So the idea that she was maybe just there holding the camera and knowing what happened dissolves. Um once this is revealed in these tapes and, and the context is set in the tapes that like Paul comes home to find uh this girl in their in their house. This victim um actually is not murdered and mm-hmm. is drugged and raped uh and and doesn't I believe did never remembered the attack, or at least initially didn't remember the attack.
3: She didn't even, I believe, meet Paul when she was conscious, so i was I think Carla had drugged her, and she was unconscious when Paul came home, so when she woke up in the morning, she didn't know what had happened. She hadn't even met Paul and she woke up and just like said hello, and she remembers being really sore, and she just had no idea that that could have possibly happened because she just technically hadn't even met him, so that didn't dawn on her.
4: And I guess, you know, it's your friend that invites you over, you know, you, you wouldn't have any reason to suspect that. Exactly.
3: It's just the two of you. And then all of a sudden you wake up in the morning.
4: Yeah. While we're talking about the videotapes though, I think it's, it's kind of like an interesting, well, you guys don't know this, but we just had um, an episode about Peter Nygaard and that was something that he did. He was really into the videotaping and he videotaped everything. And I just think it's a really interesting thing that people would ever want to do. And I mean, it's obviously very narcissistic, um, but like, it just seems crazy to me. It's like you are you're committing a crime and now you're going to actually have evidence of your crime forever more potentially. Yeah. Like but I wh- think, what's that about? It's I don't know. The,
2: it's the, the evidence is less important than reliving the crime. -hmm. So I think for them it's like a trophy; it's the prize, like that happened, and they can relive that, which is so awful. But they can rewatch it; they have it, and it's it's proof. It's almost like proof to them that it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of and it like cancels out the fact that
1: that will be evidence someday. Mm -hmm. And Olivia, I think it's a little bit about what does our criminal law professor always said. What is it? that the criminals are not that smart <laughs> <laughs> right like why I would, why yeah. do these people like create more evidence of their crimes like if they had any restraint or i don't know like the idea that all serial killers are like super geniuses is like largely been debunked and even serial killers who get away with it are not necessarily super bright um right. i think that people and people thought that oh, what's his name but Ted Bundy was like a genius um but like you saw him at his own trial like what was he doing
3: oh, oh god it was like, like oh it's embarrassing
1: I think it's almost
3: like
2: less of a genius or being smart but it's just like relentless mm-hmm. like they they're relentless like they don't at this point what do they have to lose like Ted Bundy was locked up he wanted to get out found a way to escape he did
3: yeah and he did
2: yeah like he mm-hmm. you know going. and I think Two, like, for Paul, I don't I don't know exactly, like, well, I'm sure we'll get there, but, like, the escalation, too, is when serial killers and murderers become sloppy. Like, mm-hmm. they get wrapped up in what they're doing, and then they become sloppier. They think they're just going to keep getting away with yeah, it. Yeah, they
3: think they're in the clear, and they're not going to get caught, and they yeah. make mistakes.
4: And also, like, lest we not forget that at this point, the police had his DNA and could have... Yeah. Put him in jail for all these Scarborough raids. Still races.
3: waiting for the races. results on
2: the Like, DNA. come on!
4: What yeah. was
2: it? Like two years? Like how yeah, long? Yeah, it took years. A long time. It's crazy. Yeah.
4: yeah. So oh. there's a lot. There's a lot of blunders that have to happen. But can I just before we move on from the the videotapes, we haven't talked about how Paul had ambition to be a rapper, and he had. Mm. Um, we have to
3: talk about. <laughs> well, the
4: reason. Hey, okay, this is the wanna the reason why I want to bring this. This is the reason why I want to bring it up is because I think what's interesting about the tapes, and I always like want I always have to like kind of like ask this myself it, are they acting in some way in the tapes, or are they actually being themselves? Do you know what I mean? so it's like when we're talking about whether or it's not a real art imitating
1: a life questions. Question.
4: Yeah. Okay. Well, do you know, like everyone wants to say like, oh, well, Carla said this in the video. So she must have been feeling that and thinking that. And I don't know if we can take that to be true because it could have been, you know, that they had their own ambitions. We know that Paul wanted to be a rapper. Maybe Carla wanted to be, um, an actress, you know, like we don't, we don't necessarily know. And I just think it's like, it's obviously really narcissistic, but is there maybe a little bit more to, to why they wanted to keep filming everything also? Like, did they have, like, I don't know, like this weird homemade ambition? Like, I don't know. But I think it's worth asking, just like putting it into the ether, the question.
2: Maybe. I mean, they were role-playing a lot, too. Yeah. I don't think the only videos they made were of their rapes and murders. Mm-hmm. So I... Mm-hmm. I correct me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure that they role-played like after Tammy's death like Carla role-played being Tammy for Paul yes and yeah. yes as as like She'll I don't know
3: picture in front of her face right word, right yeah.
2: yes so yes. I think you're right like I think there there could be ulterior motives to why they created these
1: tapes
4: mm-hmm. that's all I have to know about the tapes Wild. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We still just like
1: wild oh, this case should we talk about the break? One of the breaking points, I think, the major breaking point is when Carla finally goes to the police. There's one night where Paul beat her very badly. She alleges with a flashlight. She ends up in the ER. She's admitted. She was in the hospital for quite a while, actually. Um, and and then I forget. I, I, some of her family was with her, and at that point, she decides to go to the police
3: after she was. Recovered from the hospital, she, yeah. She went and reported it. I
4: didn't know that. Is that right? Yeah. Well, the pit there is pictures of her with like these two black eyes. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how fully recovered she was when she went to the police. Honestly, because I think that they were still able to see the the black eyes. Right. Um. But but yeah. So she was you know recovered enough um to go to the police. And this ends up like I agree with you, Katie. Like this seems to be the the climax of it when they finally start putting everything together um and end up solving the
1: case this like the jenga tower starts falling i think it comes like crashing down once uh the dna evidence is is tested and the results are back and they, they realize that um the dna matches up with i think three of the uh, victims of the, the scribble rapist so they're they're pretty sure he's a scrubber rapist and then they also find that that DNA matches up with DNA found on Leslie Mahathi mahathy and Kristen French. So this is all happens like in pretty quick succession.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and then next I just have the deal.
4: Well, I think it's interesting that ultimately it ends up being like domestic abuse that really seems to unravel it all um because I think that that's I mean, Katie and I talk about this all the time that you know where there's domestic abuse oftentimes it's a sign of something bigger or something more that's going on um so i think that that's kind of an important part of the story that should you know be adequately de- dwelled on mm-hmm. i i'm sure you guys find that too a, a, with a lot of your um crimes and murders <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah, I mean I feel like we just we just see it so many times and we just we come up with the same the same thing every time. And it's really frustrating. Yeah. For sure. I don't know at what point it's hard to say when it comes to domestic violence when you're looking at, you know, people who have been beaten so bad. Like I wonder like why why at that point did she choose to break off from him. Like you see so many times where they go back over and over, and sometimes it is too late. So I, I'm really curious like what was that moment where she decided like that she was done? And that she yeah. was gonna turn on him.
1: Well all this leads to the big deal, which has been called the deal of the devil, which is quite cheesy. Um but the deal broadly is that when the crown starts prosecuting Bernardo and collecting evidence for their case it's clear to them that Carla's evidence against Paul will be quite critical Um, obviously they knew and she had admitted to having some involvement she I think the involvement that she had admitted to to the police was that she certainly was there that she may may have held the camera so she also told the police about the tapes which given what we know about them is quite strange Um, but the Tapes were have not been found at this point, and she had actually gone, I think she had sent someone to the house to find them. Yeah, she um, and the them I think. And they weren't there, and they are missing. So the Crown makes a deal with Carla. She would get a 12-year sentence for manslaughter of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey in exchange for her testimony against Paul. And what I didn't realize before researching this was that lots of Canadians were really angry about this deal. Um before the tapes come out people were the public was speculating what role Carla had actually played in these murders and lots of people were ready to throw lots of blame at her despite her denials and not having the tapes being out and in interviews she says you know she's a completely unwilling participant paul would have killed her if she didn't participate but yeah maybe she held the camera so this is the deal they strike with her um after the deal has been made the tapes go public because um Paul's original counsel his original lawyer Kenneth Murray turns over the tapes to the crown
3: and then they see that she's actually involved in the acts and participating herself Mm -hmm. they see that that that? she's
1: doing the rapes herself they see the context that she has clear she seems like she has brought that Jane Doe back for Paul Mm -hmm. that she's at least Liv is kind of talked about like the art imitating life but like she at least appears to be enjoying herself and egging him on Mm -hmm. she's clearly she's an active participant in these acts however however you slice it based on these tapes Mm -hmm. um so the public goes it gets pretty angry right because i think they had thought not really sure what her involvement was she got she had agreed they she had this agreement she was only going to get a 12-year sentence Now, now look at it she is clearly At least some people think she's on the level with Paul. Some people will say she's worse than Paul, and we'll talk about that. Lots of people want to like cast her as the real victim that was like or sorry was as the as the real villain who was like egging Paul on. Paul never killed before Carla, all kinds of things like that. Mm. But the public is outraged by this. Um and this lawyer was actually tried for obstruction of justice, Paul's original defense counsel, because he didn't for not turning these over to the crown because it's, it's evidence of a crime.
4: I think that's kind of a fun side, uh, side detour before we get into the, um, whether, you know, whether, whether we think she was culpable, um, is that I think it's kind of interesting and I, I'm not sure what the lawyer was thinking, but he, found, he got the tapes. He didn't immediately review them. He didn't know what was on them right away. Um, but he, you know, seemed to have some understanding that they were not, they were going to be incriminating tapes and didn't turn them over. And then I guess finally, once he did review them, he thought, oh, this would be a great way to impeach Carla on the stand and didn't still then turn them over. And then obviously eventually did, um, at which point he was charged with, um, you know, obstruction of justice and uh, possession of child pornography. The charges were dropped, but um, you know, as an officer of the court, he, you know, wasn't allowed to withhold physical evidence, as Katie said. So it, it, it it's
1: the yeah, child yeah. pornography charges were dropped because you got it, because he's in he's holding child pornography in his possession because there are minors on these tapes. Yeah, um, yeah. those were up, Those were dropped, but he was tried for obstruction of justice and he was acquitted. But he yeah. had a trial. Yeah. And it's I don't just kind think of- he was disbarred. I think he's still a lawyer. I think he was still a lawyer until oh he retired. Also, I oh. found him. Okay. Um, well, it's just
4: it's just kind of like a crazy other side to the story too that you just think like this lawyer, like, what was he thinking? You know? know. But well, and also if he saw what was on those tapes
2: and chose not to turn that over, That's even if bad. it was against his client. That's still That's so- like he should have been tried for for that
1: and yeah and, and critically too this this is the first time I think that Carla had told the police about the Jane Doe like sometime after she was already in prison starting to serve her sentence following her plea when she was originally interviewed by police she didn't admit to this Jane Doe and then she kind of let on a little bit later and then the tapes came out and only then did people realize that she com- seemed to have completely orchestrated that attack herself as well so that was I think. I think kind of takes it beyond like maybe she could be coerced into even looking like she enjoyed it but like she she brought this person home and he was surprised to find her there like there's just no way for her to kind of remove herself from from that at least I think mm-hmm.
4: so what do you what do you guys think of the deal like do you think it was grossly um too short uh do you think that the the uh, crown should have just pulled it right back
3: I always thought it was garbage, to be honest. I, I think that she got away with way more than she... She should have got, gotten charged for more time. Like, she's out living her best life now. And for a she long time. She's like a soccer mom. <laughs> and then when she was released, she was supposed to have terms of, you know, you can't go within this much feet from a school or playgrounds. You can't be around kids. And then somehow, miraculously, her lawyer convinced them to drop those conditions so she was released from prison fully free to do whatever she wanted like that blows my mind
4: yeah it's like, unsurprising that the parents of that those schools were outraged when no they found case. out she was living among them yeah. yeah
2: no yeah no shit I'd be like nope <laughs> pull yeah, my like, kid out of
4: school immediately
3: what the heck did she do to deserve to have that dropped like yeah. Don't give me that good behavior garbage.
4: Yeah. Like, well, I think what's interesting is that, I mean, in Canada, you can up um, apply for parole after you've served a third of your sentence. And obviously if you're, you know, what, behaving well in prison, you know, all odds are you might, you know, be successful, but she never got parole. She was in for the full time. She was in for, for 12 years. Um, yeah. And I am I am curious if, if she would have served a full sentence, if it was, if she had been given a life sentence, um, because she seemed to have like quite, quite the life in prison. She was, you know, going to school, having relationships, just like doing her thing. It was like kind of crazy to hear about. She seemed to like not have a typical prison experience. Like it seemed to be quite pleasant for her. I don't know.
3: She did well. She had a not so hard of a time. I don't think. And the thing that also really stuck out for me that made me feel like she wasn't honest completely was at her sister's funeral, she had put a letter in the casket with her, with her sister Tammy. And something that she had written in there was somewhere along the lines of, you and I both know that I can't say it, and but I'm really sorry. Something like that. If you didn't think that her casket would ever get dug up and exhumed, you would have been fully honest and would have been completely getting everything off your chest and put it in that letter. So for you to withhold information and say, like, I can't say it, you know I can't say it, what are you hiding? You know someone was going to read that letter then, and you're being secretive and you're hiding something. So I just don't think that she was all as innocent as she tried to portray. So I have a
1: question. Did they never try to charge her for Tammy's murder? I'm not sure why it went like that, but I, I know that neither of them, like that was not, they. neither of them were convicted for that, but I, I don't yeah. know why they wouldn't after the fact um, lay charges for that.
2: So I guess it's just that she was going to testify against Paul and Paul was really the one that they wanted to put away mm-hmm. forever she was giving them evidence the tapes being cooperative and so then they just decided 12 years was enough for what she had done
4: yeah well it seemed like on all accounts when it first came out that she was really playing this um you know battered wife um Gosh. to the max yeah exactly and so it's and I think it you know at that point they didn't have the tapes they um the evidence that they had it was largely circumstantial and and I think that they were really afraid that they wouldn't get a um a guilty or um a
1: guilty charge. I think people were critical th- that they had made this deal even before the tapes because she admitted she was there. Um I don't know. I think some of the interviews like themselves seem pretty incriminating. If she's saying she was holding a camera <sighs> I don't I don't know how much of um like they didn't maybe press her as as hard as they could have I think that maybe not really realizing she was lying maybe that's a failure of the police work um but I do think the crown wasn't was in a really tough spot and it's they they knew that if they couldn't get a conviction on bernardo that would be absolute Worth just mind. fury by the public right they had to they knew they had to get bernardo Mm-hmm. Um, but I think had they had seen the tapes, I probably, they probably wouldn't have agreed to this deal as, oh, yeah. like probably. this because they no longer needed her testimony as much exactly. and, and the tapes too, like the tapes also, and, and then also because the tapes and the testimony don't work together because the tapes show her being vicious and, sh- and show that she had bu- perjured herself and lied to police, right? Mm-hmm. So the tapes and the testimony, like you can't really have both of them as good evidence because the tapes um, would would negate from her testimony because then her testimony becomes a lie or or would have had to be very changed. She has no credibility as a witness, Mm -hmm. but they thought they were going with her testimony only. So they also, the crown also had a vested interest in, not a vested interest, but the crown would have wanted her to be as clean as possible because they're relying on her credibility as a witness. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a kind of a conflict there with the crown because they wanted Hamoka to be the best witness she could be to make sure that she had good evidence against paul Mm -hmm. so you you see how when they're also um trying to deal with her in the system you see how that kind of creates a conflict of interest in a way Hmm. yeah
4: but i'm obviously really sympathetic to the crown's position because it's like it's so like you said, there would have been public outcry if if they hadn't been able to lock Paul up for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, I'm not sure if we're completely ready to move to this, but I'll do it anyway. What's interesting. Ready. Is that um <laughs> uh, So Paul, during the course of the trial, didn't deny uh, that he committed the sexual assaults, but he did deny um, that he murdered the victims. And he, in fact, pinned it on Carla, which I think is bec- interesting. Because there did kind of become this question of, you know, did who did it? Who who was the person who ended up actually doing the murders? And I'm I think that's at
3: each other, really.
4: Yeah, exactly. And I think that there's pretty interesting theories on both sides that are worth um discussing so so basically paul's you know theory is that he never killed before carla came around she was jealous she didn't want these girls sticking around but he did he wanted to keep them so there's that and then obviously carla's saying no like he (laughs) it was him i was the battered woman i you know he did it and i had nothing to do with it so I'm I'm curious what what you think of uh, about each each side.
3: Well, it's interesting that you do say that it's true he hadn't killed anybody before her, but maybe he just you know over time he gets more confident and it escalates, and now that he's got her help, he feels you know fearless and he can just do it and get away with it. Now that he's got this help, so that to me, I I wouldn't think that it would be her influence as to why those victims died like it wasn't her like pushing that decision i think that he just got more ballsy yeah
2: i i agree too i think i mean obviously we don't have to dig into paul's history but he definitely has a different upbringing than carla did and i yeah. think he showed a lot of signs of of escalating whether carla was going to be involved in his life or not whether he met carla or met someone else i I actually believe he was like on a mission to manipulate someone into being his Barbie to his Ken, if you will. Yeah. Like it's, and, and maybe she was complicit in these, like obviously the tapes show that she wasn't innocent in everything, but I don't know if we can actually say that she was the one who turned him. I mm-hmm. think that was a path he was on already.
4: Mm-hmm. I heard that there was some evidence that, um, that there were, um, knee bruises that were the same size as Carla on the back of one of the victims, um, suggesting that she might have been the one that strangled them. Now that's very, Mm -hmm. you know, circumstantial, difficult to draw anything from it, but there was a little bit of evidence that did actually make me question, um, you know, whether or not she, she was the culprit Mm -hmm. for sure. Or did Paul want to watch that? Like, did he say,
2: like now, it's your turn. Like, get in there and and do that to these victims, and while I watch.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I guess ultimately it doesn't. It doesn't really matter who it was. We know that it was one of one of the two of them, and that's like that's the important I think thing to draw. But I think it's just an interesting conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. I, just I just think both can know. be true. Like, I think she can be a true victim of his abuse, who was truly manipulated but she can also like have been a vicious murderer at the same time. Like you can be like, it doesn't have to be that she was either a a battered spouse who was completely manipulated or she was like the real driver of this whole situation. I think that the idea that she was a real driver of the whole thing, it does, it really does feel like, I don't know. It was very Lady Macbeth. Like, oh, like, women are manipulative and, like, only because a woman was involved, that's why he started, that's why he went bad and, like, we're responsible for monitoring and maintaining the morality of men, whatever. It does feel a little bit like that. Um, let's not have to excuse her of anything. Um, and, and maybe she did egg him on and then now he has the safety blanket of somebody, like, who clearly seems to be the one thinking about covering up crimes. Like, she's she seems to be a little bit more reasonable, a little bit brighter than him in that sense. Like she she says it was her, like she knew that she, these girls couldn't stay in the basement when her parents came, when they came for dinner and things like that, or that they had to like deal with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas it doesn't seem like Paul really from her picture that she paints, Paul didn't really have the foresight, but just because he has her to fix things for him doesn't mean that she's resp- like she is solely or more responsible for these murders i mean it's just i think it's interesting the people who who want to paint her as like the real victim drive or the real villain driving the whole thing it, it, i don't really buy that either yeah to be honest
3: but she also just never showed the I, I think
1: two things can be true at once i think she can be his victim but she can also be terrible exactly no yeah I think it's also interesting, like, how fascinated the public
4: seems to be about her mental state. And I know that this is obviously a thing that, you know, is talked about with a lot of serial killers. Um, But it's, I, I often wonder, and I heard, it's, it's not completely the same, but, you know, I don't know if you know the story of Alias Grace, it's kind of a similar kind of thing where it did the woman do it, did the man do it, we know that someone's dead kind of thing it's Margaret Atwood novel. And uh, in reading a review of it, someone said that, you know, what do we want from them? Do we want them to be the victim? Do we want them to be the perpetrator? Like, or are we just using them for our own entertainment in some way? And are, are we trying to like impose something on them that maybe is like, completely misplaced and and shouldn't be there and they shouldn't be a public spectacle at all. And I think, um, I, I just think it's, you know, like why, why do we care about her so much? You know, like what, what is it that we want from her? And I think, I think the answer is entertainment, you know? Yeah. I mean, notoriously like
2: serial killers make the headlines yeah. and we are fascinated with murder and these like crazy mind games that people can play with, and and also like that we escaped it. It's like escaping death, but like that didn't happen to any of us. Like yeah. there's there's a lot that goes on with um, media and serial killers, and like over and over and over too. Mm-hmm. So whether it hurt hurts or aids in it, I don't know. But I think you're you are right in that there is definitely. A sense of entertainment, especially from Carla and Paul. I mean, this is one of the most famous cases in Canada, and I mean, there are other murderers out there, but the fact that it's like the Ken and Barbie like a, a couple does this it was right. also they, very they just don't rare. The
3: look of someone that you could see doing that to their own sister, yeah, right? You just it's something that just seems unfathomable when you see a picture of her like, it's, like how could you have done that? From yeah, a picture this video of her participating and willingly participating is so like mind blowing to wrap your mind around. So it's, it's it's that fascination thing too. Mm-hmm. I think that people, people, I don't know, it sounds bad, but like you want to hate them. But yeah. Like they, you know, like you want, you know, I. it's tough to sympathize.
4: I do kind of, it does kind of, everyone is so obsessed with, you know, they're this attractive couple. They could, you know, it's not the monster you think of. And I, and I always kind of like wonder like, okay, so who is the monster that we think of? Like, what is the face of the monster we yeah. think of? Because yeah. I think increasingly, like, we don't know what that is, you know? Yeah. So something to think about.
3: For sure. Any Anyone who can do that to their own sister. And- continue to do that to more girls I don't know it just it shows no remorse yeah so, so where do we have... want to go
4: now do we want to um do we want to just talk a little bit about where she is um now and <laughs> why we feel like that's a problem to wrap up
3: <laughs> I don't think that she would do anything of the sort now like she's so everyone knows who she is she wouldn't dare get back into that situation again
4: yeah it's interesting. She does sound kind of seem to be like obsessed with her own privacy um in a way that I feel like she seems to be kind of entitled um like that she she's in some way entitled to privacy, which i Like, take a huge issue with obviously, because you know, as part of her condition, when she was originally released, she had to inform the court of any name changes. Um, and we know that she's gone through a a couple of name changes. She's, you know, tried to conceal her identity, she tried, has tried to conceal where she is. Mm -hmm. And while I understand, you know, that she doesn't necessarily want to be harassed, you know, she wants to have some kind of privacy or some kind of um, anonymity, Mm -hmm. it, it seems crazy that she would have an expectation that, um, that she could just kind of be living her life. And, and like you say, it seems to have no real remorse. And I mean, obviously I'm not in her head. I don't know what's going on, but it, it, it just seems like there's no remorse and that she just feels entitled to, you know, have kids and live a seemingly pretty good life after she's ruined the lives of so many.
3: Right. She served her time though, right? So
2: (laughs) yeah, she served her time. Whether that was enough time, I mean, up for debate, but, um, we did a case on a woman murderer, um, back, I think it was the forties. Her name's Evelyn Dick and I loved that episode. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So, um, and I I believe we talked about it, that Carla studied Evelyn while she was in prison to, because Evelyn was so successful in concealing her identity for the rest of her life. We do not know what happened to her. We don't know when she died, what her identity was. She got a full pardon. Like it was crazy. crazy. And so, yeah, like insane. As she like hacksawed her husband. So yeah. um like this and was not.
3: studied her.
2: And Carla studied her and her and how she was able to do that and keep her um identity sealed and have that privacy for the rest of her life. And that's what she wanted.
4: And I mean, in fairness to Carla, she probably would have been large, way more successful had it not been for social media, et cetera, because totally I mean, it's like, so I, like you said, Evelyn, um, Dick was from a completely different time. Yes, um, totally. And and it did, it took a, quite a few years for the, for the media to track Carla down. It wasn't like they knew where she was right away. Um, she had some success hiding, but, um, but yeah, no, ultimately people
1: know where she is, yeah. it is? Know
3: where she is now
1: she's in a, i think she's in the suburbs of montreal still
3: there okay i
1: think she's still there there was a, i think in like late 2020 there was outrage from some parents who found out she was uh not just her kids went to their school but that she was volunteering at the school because she's yeah. i think she's going by she's gone by a few different names now um people found out that it was her but she had she learned french in prison so that's why she went to which if you've heard her uh radio canada interview does not sound like she learned french in prison french (laughs) is bad um but (laughs) she's living in montreal but she was in guadalupe for a few years too i think that's where she initially went and i don't understand like she's not an internationally famous serial killer and as we know serial killers are like a mostly north american largely north american phenomenon like i don't know why she wouldn't just live somewhere else like i don't understand why she had to come back to canada like Um, everybody knows who you are they were always gonna find her yeah it can she how can she be close with her it's not like she's got does she have family close by like can she really be hanging out with her mom and dad
3: right like she reconciled with her parents it sounds uh,
4: like they're on fairly good terms which is like shocking
3: unforgivable yeah unforgivable yeah no how could you
4: I don't know. The craziest, we didn't mention this, but she married her uh, lawyer's brother,
3: which is also
4: just crazy because he presumably knew the ins and outs of everything and still wanted to marry her. Like, what kind of guy is this? I don't know. We
3: got all those, like, women groupies who are obsessed with serial killers and they send their love letters and photographs to killers in prison. Vice versa, same thing. Like, there are people who will still... Be into that. It's weird.
4: I don't know. More and obviously, Paul Paul has a potential love interest too. Uh, in that vein, so is he know. on
3: that? Is um, that online dating thing for inmates?
4: <laughs> what is this? Remember? Yeah, Remember there is Mark there Twitch-les is
3: Twitchals on it.
2: Something for that? Yes. Or yeah, it, it's like
3: it's like Tinder for online or for, um, for inmates. Like, inmates. Yeah, inmates.
4: That must be like only like but that the doesn't seem to like track considering there's like more men than women so is that not it's like a, the- <laughs> I think it's
3: like with it's with the public
4: it's for the public yes so oh. the public
2: goes on to find inmates to date you,
3: yeah, you to date. yeah. It's wow stuff.
2: yeah it's not just inmate to inmate
3: <laughs> no you can you go on to this website I checked it out when I was doing the Mark Twitchell like Dexter episode because Mark Tridgell is on there and there's the bio and you can see all these inmates and what they're in for and their little bio that they write about themselves. And then I think there's a disclaimer at the beginning, you know, just be forewarned. Like these people are, you know, in here for some serious offenses.
1: They could be dangerous. Yeah. 12 best free prison dating site options. So there are multiple meetaninmate.com loveaprisoner.com
3: that sounds like what's that show
1: this is fucked love up. is blind no
4: like something of love what was that remember mm,
3: oh, a, sh- what? a shot of love <laughs> oh, <remember the> <laughs> flavor slave flavor slave and the other like one. love in hip-hop no oh. God, I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I'm not sure. From like the 2000s, those like dating shows. We covered another episode. I'm not sure the Ryan Jenkins episode. Remember, Megan (laughs) wants to be a uh, mill. I know, I know. know We
2: were
1: talking about it. I said it was like a shot of love. That's the one that I remembered. (laughs) Anyways, that's what they said. Canadian inmates connect is the Canadian dating That's That's the
4: one okay well that's sick <laughs> we won't be doing an advertisement for them in, on no. our show no do we have any like final thoughts on carlo that we didn't get to say
3: i hope her kids are okay
4: that's, that's a yeah. great point you it know, is I hope a nice, that good they're point
3: living like a good life and that this isn't something that will haunt them you know who knows at some point they might find out what her mom did maybe they have no idea, maybe they already know, but you just, you know, I hope that this doesn't affect them in a negative way.
4: Yeah. And I mean, uh, this is not something I know about anything about, but if whether like certain traits are hereditary or they pick up on, you know, she obviously has some bad personality traits to say the very least. And, um, you know, you're, you're often turned out to be similar to your parents. So like not to like, say, you know, say what's going to happen to them. But I think it's like concerning on both sides. It's like, are they safe? And are they, are we also safe
3: yeah, for from, like them?
4: from them? Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, so uh, I don't know. we time will tell.
2: Yeah. Hopefully. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they're, they're living normal lives, even with yeah. an very unusual
4: mother figure. <laughs> <sighs> it's true. <sighs> it just also makes, it, it's like difficult to like imagine her moving on from her life too. Like, it's just difficult to imagine like her being this like nurturing mother mm-hmm. of three. I don't know. It's just like, but you did all those things. Like, I,
1: I don't know. Seems I know. crazy. It does. Anyway, that's Carla Homoka. <laughs> Thanks. See you next week.